Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you today? So great to see you. If you do have a Bible, please, uh, if you would, turn to Psalm chapter 1, the book of Psalms. We're going to look at the first one today. That's where we're going to camp out. Uh, before uh, we get into the teaching today, though, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for welcoming uh, Steve Walker back last weekend. Wasn't that really fun to have him? His first time back since he retired. Uh, it was great seeing him here and teach, and then he stayed for a few nights to give us a crash course on Bible study methods. I know many of you were there, so uh, a good time. Uh, hopefully, he'll come back again. And uh, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm cooking up another crash course for you guys. Uh, look for this at the end of April. We're going to have an, one of my friends come in from the Bay Area. He's an awesome teacher, and uh, the topic is to be determined. You'll just have to kind of wait and see. It's going to be great, though. Uh, more, de- more details on that. Okay, so take out those message notes, please. You'll see that we are, in fact, beginning a brand new series. If you're new with us, we are on this journey called the Year of Biblical Literacy in our church, which is a year-long project where we are immersing ourselves in the scriptures. We're sitting and soaking and studying and conversating about the word of God. And and you're going to hear a lot about that if you're new and if you keep coming. Now, one of the layers to Yobel, everybody say Yobel. Yobel, it's a new word, uh, is our cover-to-cover reading plan, which is uh, this plan that takes us all through the scriptures in a year, a little bit of reading every single day. And if you're in that, uh, there's an app that we we have uh, that that we're partnering with the Bible Project with, and that app sort of brings up the teachings, or excuse me, the readings every day. There's videos and things. But if you if you're on that app or you're you're following along, you'll notice that every day there's a reading in this in the Book of Psalms. Every single day. In fact, this is the only book in the scriptures this year that you are going to read multiple times if you're following this plan. Uh, in fact, 2.5 times approximately will you go through the book of Psalms. So uh, for t- today, uh, for example, the reading plan is Leviticus chapters 1 through 4 and then Psalm 30. Did anybody do that already today? You don't have, okay, so a bunch of you did, okay. Uh, or maybe six of you did. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is how it's structured. So the question is, why? Why are we going through Psalms so many times? Like, what's the deal? Why is Psalms so special? Why not go through another book uh, two and a half times, like Revelation? Nobody knows what that's about. Maybe if we keep reading it enough, we'll finally figure it out. Like, So what's the dealio here? Well, I'm glad that you, you asked about that because the answer to that question is found in discovering what the book of Psalms is all about. So again, on your handouts, you can begin filling out. Here's a little definition. The book of Psalms, guys, is an ancient collection of prayers and songs and poems that functioned as a worship manual for ancient Israel. And it also functions as a prayer and worship guide for Christians today. So we have a collection in this book. So when you have, when you have the Psalm 1 open and there's 150 chapters, right? So, so Psalms is a collection. The Bible itself, we discovered a few weeks back, is a collection of books. So we have a collection within a collection. It's a little bit like the movie Inception. Anybody with me? All right. So the, uh, the name Psalm also, it's, it's a clue to its, uh, to its, its usage is taken actually from the Greek, uh, uh, translation of the Hebrew Bible. The Greek word is psalmos. Psalmos, which is a word that literally means a song. 
Or if you want to really get nerdy, it means a song with an instrument. Uber nerdy, it also means a song with a stringed instrument. So think, think about a lyre, think about a guitar, ancient guitar type thing, or think about a fiddle, or do you call it a violin, whatever you call it. So, so, so that's what this is. It's a songbook of different songs, poems, and, and, and prayers, and many of these were put to, to music. Now, the book of Psalms was written not all at once. It took about a thousand years for the authors, the various authors, to write this. David wrote about 75 of these, either 73, maybe 74, maybe 75. A guy named Asaph wrote uh, 12. Moses wrote at least one, maybe a couple. Uh, Solomon wrote one, and there's some other periods of people. There's also some anonymous ones. And so eventually, though, after everybody was done writing these, they were compiled and organized together as part of the Old Testament canon. And now we think this compiling happened when Israel was in exile during the Babylonian uh, period, which makes things kind of fall into place. Okay, so this is, again, in our history, 586 Babylon comes in and destroys uh, the, the the town of Jerusalem and 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 kills many Jewish people, many Israelites, and then and then those who are left alive, they repopulate them, repatriate them into the Babylonian Empire, and so for hundreds of years, the Jews are just basically not in their homeland. They are in exile. They're in foreign territory. They're not at home, and they're sort of being you know kind of pressed upon this big empire. And it makes sense that when they were in this difficult period, then they would turn to the music and the poetry that the Lord had given them throughout their history. And so this, again, goes to why are we doing this every day? It, it is for us today functioning as a devotional prayer time with our Bible reading. We want you to not only just read the scriptures, but we want you to use this as a devotional, or, or the young people call them devos, devos, not just a band from the 80s, devotional, short, no, nobody get that, okay, that's all right. So every time you open this up, think about how many millions of people throughout history have opened up to a psalm and then, and then read it and then worshiped to it and then given it back to God, prayed it back to God. You read the words and you identify with the themes and the situations and the life circumstances that are unpacked in each of these. And, and then you can say, as you're in this, you can say, well, this is, I see myself here. This is a little bit about what's going on in my life. This is me. This reflects what's happening in my heart. And so you take these lines and you pull these emotions from the page and the struggles and the celebrations and the tough times and you internalize these scriptures and then you pour it all back to God. You pour it all back to him, which is how we're supposed to read the Psalms, how they function. They're not just there for us to read them like information. They're there for us to interact with them and to emote with them and to give them back to the Lord as we, as we identify with what these songs are saying. And you know, it's not just us, but Jesus actually showed us how to do this, guys. If we read in the Gospels, Jesus internalized the Psalms. He quotes the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book that he quotes. He does this actually twice while he's on the cross. As Jesus was on the cross on Calvary, he's physically, he's breaking apart. Blood is coming out of his body and Psalms are coming out of his heart, out of his mouth. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, Jesus is quoting that psalm. Into your hand I commit my spirit, Jesus says. 
That's Psalm 31. Right before Christ dies, he's quoting the Psalms. He's teaching us what the Psalms are for. They point us back to God when all hell breaks loose. And so even on the cross, remarkably, Jesus takes time to show us how to psalm. The Lord is showing us the scriptures from the cross. And in this case, he's pointing us to this inspired music and poetry and imagery of who God is and also who we are and how we can mess things up and how people get messed up, and how people go sideways with us, and how, how jacked up life can get. And, and they also teach us how to point our lives back to the Lord and connect with him on a heart-to-heart level through worship and prayer. So Psalms, these songs are, are more art than they are anything else. They're very artistic. They're passionate. They're emotional. They're exaggerative. They're hyperbolic at times. Uh, they're frustrating and it's, 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 it's like, man, David will say, man, I'm just so mad. I'm just torqued off. Lord, why are you allowing my enemies to, to, to get at me? Lord, why are you allowing my enemies to prosper? I look at my own life and I'm, I'm struggling and there's just circumstances that are against me. And then there's this godless neighbor that I have who's prospering and he just got a raise and he bought a Tesla and he's just having a great time and he's going on a big fat vacation. And man, I just, that, Lord, that just sucks. Why? Why is that happening? This is the Psalms. They're art. Art is needed, my friends. Art is needed because art impacts us differently than, say, other types of scripture. You, you know this if you bumped around your Bible. Sometimes the Bible's very technical. It's very doctrinal. It's, it's very uh, uh, method, methodological. It's very theological. It reminds me a little bit of doing math. Math, which is a swear word for some of you in here. Some of us love it. Uh, but math, uh, especially advanced math, is very, uh, is very, very utilitarian. It's about getting stuff done. It's about uh, being calculated and formulaic and applying these things to situations. And, 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 you know, so it's got its function, but then there's art, which is emotion and experiential and it's moving us in different ways. And so we need scriptures that are more mathematical and more, um, uh, and more artistic because our hearts are designed for both. The Lord designed parts of our heart to be drawn to expression, to, to make it soar, to make it be inspired, to cause our hearts to be empathetic and break and weep for the brokenness of ourselves and for those around us. Art is good. So it's kind of like why we are drawn to, to, to TV shows and to movies and to stories and books that, that, that do sort of stir emotion in us. Uh, I, I know for me, I'm drawn to certain types of, of television programs. Uh, I love cop shows. I do. I love cop shows. Uh, well, I love cops, first of all. Uh, I love Law and Order. Not necessarily the show, but uh, the concept of Law and Order. I've really never seen the show. Uh, sorry, I got a little mixed up there. But when I was, when I was in my mid-30s, um, I, I found a, a, a cop show that I had never seen before uh, while it aired in real time, but it had since ended, and it was called NYPD Blue. And this, this show was really powerful for me I don't know why I was just in this, it was like 33, 34, the kids were little and, and, you know, my job was difficult. And so I, I started to get 
sort of roped into this, this stream. I discovered streaming, you know, probably rue the day that happened. Can we go back in time? But anyways, and, and so NYPD Blue had these wonderful cops. It was, about, it was about a police unit in New York, and they were detectives, and they, guys like Dennis Franz, the actor, was so good, and Ricky Schroeder, and, uh, and Jimmy Smits was in it. So Jimmy Smits was his character. He played Bobby. He played this cop, Bobby, and he was really cool, and he wore cool suits, and he, was, he just conducted himself. He was, he was a nice guy. He was really smart. Jimmy Smits, you may remember, he's the actor that prefigured largely in the Star Wars films, particularly episode three, remember, when he adopts Leia Luke's sister and raises her on Alderaan, and then Alderaan in episode four is blown up by the Death Star. So great actor, great actor. So Jimmy Smith's character, he gets sick, and, and he's in the hospital, and he's got this disease, and I'm watching it, and I'm totally locked in. And this is a couple of shows, you know, it's like half a season, and it's his journey with this illness, and I think, oh, he's, he's going to get healed. He's going he's gonna to keep going. Now, I didn't know this because the show had already been canceled for like 10 years or whatever, but I'm, I'm watching it like it's going on right now, and I remember this episode, and the kids are in the kitchen just about 15 feet away from me and Christy, and they're, they're little tweenagers, and, uh, and they're chatty, and they're talking, and I'm just I'm watching this one episode, and Bobby dies. He dies, spoiler. He dies. And I just start, I just start weeping on the couch. I just lost it. And I'm just, I'm just crying, like, like ugly cry crying. And the kids are just freaked out. They're like, whoa, what's going on with dad? They're looking over at me and they're just watching TV and, and they're like, hey mom, something's wrong. And so, Christy comes over and she sits by me and I have my head in my hands and I'm just weeping and I'm like, I, I, I really didn't want him to die. I like him. Why did he have to die? And I'm crying and I'm asking her and she's like, I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe he reminded me a little bit of my dad. You know, art has a way of just going right here. It gets through all of your logic. It gets through all of your, your questions. It gets through all of, all of the reasons why you shouldn't be this or you should be that. And it just penetrates right into your soul, just like a missile. And it just, and it just gets there. And you know, sometimes we need that, don't we? And the Lord knew that. And so he gives us the Psalms to connect with us in ways that our hearts need. Now, I've talked a lot about emotion. Let me balance this out and talk some logic and structure, okay? Uh, the structure of Psalms, this may help you as you're reading this book and you're going through this two and a half times this year, especially with this, such a large amount of text. The book of Psalms on your notes is divided into five main sections, which you can see on this slide, uh, books one through 41, uh, uh, book one, book two, 42 through 72, and so forth. And, and it's interesting because um, it's compiled this way. In fact, most of our modern Bibles, if you open up, the publishers have put this in. And so Psalm 1, if you're there, it should say book 1. It should say book 1. And when you get to Psalm 42, it should say book 2. So it kind of gives you a, 
a little bit of a, a heads up. And now what delineates each one of these books, like where one ends and one begins, is the ending verse of these books all five times it ends with something similar, a little phrase, and it's something like, blessed be the Lord forever and ever, amen. Something like that. It's not exactly the same, but it's very similar to that. And so there's this deliberate structure to how it was compiled. And what's happening here is the book of Psalms is being modeled after another section of scripture that's broken up into five pieces, what we would call the Torah, the five books of Moses. The Torah, which means teaching, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, also called the Pentateuch, which is the Greek name for Torah. And so what the psalm is, is like the worship version of Torah. And the Israelites were very, were very deliberate about how they put this together under the inspiration of the Spirit. And so what we're going to do for this series, uh, could you guys put the, the one, the one uh, with all five books up there, that one slide? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at five psalms. We're going to look at the first psalm in our series of each of these books. That's why they're bolded and underlined. So today is Psalm 1. Next week will be Psalm 42. Uh, and so forth. The last week, guys, we have Sanjay, Dr. Sanjay Merchant coming from Moody Bible. He'll be teaching us Psalm 107, and then he will be uh, Saturday night, uh, the night before that Sunday, he will be with us with a special Yobel lecture called Where, Where Do People Go When They Die? So we're going to do a little bit of a, of a deep dive in what the scriptures say about the afterlife and heaven and hell. So, so that, that'll be a fun weekend. And so that's the structure of our series. That's the plan is giving you a sample of each book with this ancient collection that has total relevance for today. Speaking of today, Psalm one, let's get to it. Let's read it together now and, uh, and then find out what's in here for you and I. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What do you think about that? Interesting. What's your first, uh, just shout out some stuff. What's, what's your first reaction to that? A warning? Any, anybody else dare to participate? The wicked perish? That's a definite stands out, doesn't it? Example, what happens to the righteous? Yeah, they sit, yeah, they're like a tree. They prosper. Interesting. So let's break this down a little bit. You guys are getting this, right? What's the very first word of this psalm? The very first word of the book of Psalms. What's that word? Look back. Blessed, yeah? What a way to start out a book, right? 
Uh, the word blessed, or sometimes we say blessed. Blessed. Which one are you? Are you a blessed or a blessed? Which way do you? It's the same. How you pronounce the word, I suppose. So God is saying to us right away, in the shortest amount of words possible, in this worship book, be blessed. I want you blessed. God's people are to be blessed people. God says, I want you rolling around in blessing day and night. I want blessing flowing out of your life. I want the blessing of God on your life, in your life, through your life. That's what this whole thing is about. But this, this, this is also about other things. And I think, uh, I think you said it back here. Look at the very last word of the psalm. What does that say? What is that word? Perish. Ah, so you have the first word is blessed and the last word is perish. So there seems to be some artistic structure to this. That's not an accident. The word perish, which is the biblical opposite of the word blessed. The word perish means simply to die and to, and to just and to just cease to exist. And so we see this brilliant juxtaposition here, even in this word order. What this psalm is doing, my friends, is answering a few big questions about the nature of life itself. What is this thing called life all about? The first question that the passage drives home for us, and this is now on your notes, is it answers this question, how many ways are there to live? How many ways are there for a person to go? What are the main options for a person's path that they take? Now, it does so from a big picture standpoint. It's not answering sort of well, what job should I have and who should I marry and where should I live? Should I live in green? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't. Uh, it's, it's a thing bigger picture than that. What kind of life do I want to live while I'm on planet Earth? How many paths are there really to take? And this psalm says the answer is two. There are two ways to live. Not five, not 500, not unlimited, but there's two paths in this life. Now, of course, it's very different than what our modern notions of life paths are like. Uh, I suppose uh, we have our, our notions of free will, especially here in Western society. Uh, make your own path, choose your own adventure, you know, manifest your own destiny or whatever the young people say. Uh, like, like for every human on planet Earth, there is a unique life path. So there's actually more like not just two, but more like six billion or 6.5 billion. And no two life paths are the same. And you can't, according to culture, define what someone's life path is for them. And so, uh, you know, to say two is very narrow-minded. And yet the scriptures appreciate some of uh, the options and, and the self and the self autonomy that we have to choose our paths. But so the scriptures aren't necessarily against all that, but also they say, actually, no, there's really two. <laughs> there's just really two ways to live. The way of blessing or the way of perishing. The way of blessing or the way of perishing. The first word is the first way. And the Hebrew word literally means the way of happiness. If we just transliterate this directly into the English, it just means happy or happiness. Jesus, of course, picks up on this when he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. And those, those little phrases, the word blessed means just happy. Happy are the people who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those sorts of things. And the second way is the last word. It just means the way of destruction, quite literally. To come to destruction and ruin. So you have two paths, two options, two ways to live. Again, I completely understand how harsh this sounds. But I think it's important to note that it's not just in the Old Testament that this uh, concept comes forward. Jesus himself talks about two paths. In Matthew chapter 7, in his teaching, he gives these uh, series of teachings about two life paths. First, he talks about the narrow gate and the wide gate. The narrow gate and the wide gate. And, and, uh, and, and the narrow gate, Jesus says, is this entrance into a city, a city of blessedness, a city of life. And that's a narrow gate and it leads to life. And Jesus adds, there's not many people on that. There's not, not a whole lot of people on that narrow path, that narrow gate. And then he says, but the other way is this wide gate. It's a huge wide gate. And a lot of people are, are going through this. And the path towards it is, is very wide. And Jesus says there's a ton of people. And that's the path of destruction. Enter by the narrow gate. Here it is on the screen, Matthew 7. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He then speaks about fruit trees. He gives us another analogy. Guess how many types of fruit trees Jesus says there are in this teaching? Does any, have you not been paying attention? Because he should be, oh yeah, it's okay too. Thank you. Good. You're with me. So good. Love you all. Uh, there's good fruit and bad fruit. And right after that, he teaches about different types of houses people build. Guess how many types of houses people can build? Yeah, so good. Houses that withstand storms and houses that break apart in storms. And so happiness is one path or blessedness and then ruin is the other. So those are the two choices. Happiness, though, uh, even though the, the amount of, of options is very sort of antithetical to modern thought, the word happiness is very much a part of modern thought, is it not? When we say the word happy or a goal of life is for everyone to be happy. So, so a lot of times parents will say to their kids, uh, hey, I just want you to be whatever makes you. If it makes you, it can't be that bad. A song lyric, yeah? Do you want me to sing it? You don't. It's not my gift. I, I can dance it. No, I don't want to do that either. You know, parents, making our kids happy is not our goal. Uh, it's not our goal. Um, happiness, of course, is we want our children to experience joy in life, but that's not the end game. The end game is the holiness of Jesus. That's the target we're shooting for. So happiness is sort of resonating, but we need to press into this because the next question that the psalm answers is, is important. And that's, well, who gets to define what happiness and, and destruction mean? Is happiness, in other words, a morally relative subjective experience 
that is, is more emotional. It's most emotionally driven and it's therefore different for everyone based on everybody's different preferences and criteria for emotional happiness. Is that what it is? Or is it more objective and anchoring into something more permanent, something eternal? And it turns out that the passage helps us understand this more because we see that it is God who defines what happiness and destruction mean. It's God who defines what those things mean. Happiness doesn't mean, for example, according to God, that you're super wealthy and that you're famous and that you're insta-famous and you've got 300,000 followers and that you take great vacations and you have an awesome car and that, you know, you, you just, you're, you're, all your relationships are great and, 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 you know, your kids get full scholarships to, you know, wherever Oregon State or University of Oregon, whichever one in your family is the thing to go to, uh, in my it's neither, but most of my kids are at University of Oregon, so whatever. I think I failed as a dad. Uh, no, that's not. So, so is that happiness? So, so, so according to the Bible, that's not the definition of happiness. And also according to the Bible, to be destroyed or to be, you know, have, living a life of ruin doesn't mean that you've gotten sick, you've run out of money, your life is difficult, you think you're going to get laid off next weekend, your relationships are strained, and you can't seem to find a place to live because there's no rental houses in Roseburg. Okay, that's not the path of ruin either in the Bible. Because in God's eyes, those things don't, that's not how he defines them. And so we find these things defined for us both here in this psalm and throughout scriptures. Look again at verse 2. It describes the blessed person. The blessed person, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates night and day. So blessed living isn't how big your bank account is and what cool concerts you've got coming up. It's allowing the law of the Lord or the scriptures themselves, God's word, to pour into your life and to bring definition and to bring, and to bring stability and to bring eternity into your soul. That's what happiness is. So this means then that happiness is not defined by me or you or culture. It also means if we don't let God define these things, we're going to be in trouble. Because objective truth, objective reality, which is what the scriptures give us every single day, they teach us that happiness isn't emotionally driven, biological urges. It's not culturally defined. It's not our own insecurities. When we, when we sort of, you know, overcome something personally, we need a much deeper happiness, the scriptures say, to what those surface things will give us. So God's word does this for us, his law, which is, which is a phrase that just means all of scripture. When we meditate on all of scripture, we find happiness. True blessing is taught in his holy word. In the Psalms alone, the word blessing comes up 111 times. About half of those times, it refers to our happiness. Other times, it just refers to bless the Lord and all of his holiness. And other times it refers to what it takes for you and I to find biblical happiness, biblical blessed life. So let God's word define it for you. And it says, it says, here's what it's not. If you keep going into the passage, it says it's not walking in the counsel of the wicked. It's not standing in the way of sinners and it's not sitting in the seat of mockers. So let's look at these verbs for just a second. The verbs walking, standing and sitting, because this is basically giving us a picture of our life. 
And it's, it's giving us a metaphor for who's pouring into our life. And it's also a progression of the level of intimacy that people have in your life. So, for example, when you're walking, let's say you're walking along and you're walking along on a sidewalk or you're walking into a sports event or something. There's a lot of people around you and you don't necessarily know everyone because you're just all walking in the same direction, right? But then let's say when you're walking down this path or a sidewalk and you see a group of people standing together in a circle, that usually means those people know each other somehow. And there's a level of intimacy that is a little greater than they're just walking along. You're standing in a circle. And I suppose if you saw that and you went and stood in that circle and you didn't know anybody, then they would think you were weird. Because you don't know them. There's, a, there's something that groups that group together, right? And then furthermore, when you're sitting down with people, usually in the in the Palestinian or ancient Israelite mindset, that meant you were sitting down to a table for a meal. That meant you really knew someone. You really had a, a, a level of emotional connection that allowed you to share a meal or to sit at a table because you knew when you were invited to a meal, you were in. It's a little more casual today, but back then it was, it was a little more intimate than what, what, what maybe we're used to. But still, I think we see that. Again, you're at a restaurant and you just walk in and there's a family. And what if you just, you didn't know them, you just sat down and you started to eat some off people's plates and things. That would just, again, be weird. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, stop doing that for some of you. (laughs) The relationships progress from more casual to more intimate. And the, the passage then talks about inputs, which also have a progression. The influences progress from being generally ungodly in a just general sense to more specifically and intensely anti-God. So walking in the counsel of the wicked, this first piece, again, you're walking along and you're just receiving counsel. What's counsel? Counsel is advice. Counsel is like wisdom. It can be sort of just generally accepted norms and culture. It could be, uh, it could be, you know, uh, uh, information and wisdom that you take in to make decisions, both big and small in your life. And so this scripture is telling us, don't just let the cultural culture, culture casually drop stuff into your heart and into your mind as you walk along. You got to be careful. And if you're not careful, that'll eventually lead you to having closer, closer fellowship with those who literally at the end of this progression, they mock and they scoff at God. This is the way to destruction. You see how different this is. A person can be wealthy, healthy physically, emotionally feeling free, and walk through life just saying, well, this makes me happy, and this makes me happy, and this makes me emotionally secure, and this this gives me satisfaction, all the while sitting around their closest friends, cheering them on, hating God, mocking God, making fun of the things of God and the beauty of God and the ways of God, all the while they slowly slide into the wide gates of the city of destruction. That's what this psalm is saying. Instead, it's saying the blessed life is marked by immersing yourself in the scriptures and hanging around people who do the same and loving God and loving the whole counsel of God, not just cherry-picking the parts of the Bible that you like, but letting God's word counsel you and pour into you. 
A person can be losing financially, suffering with sickness, emotionally feeling pain, and all the while loving God and the beautiful things of God, surrounded by friends who are prayerful and supported. And that blessed person is marching ever so closer to the city gates of blessedness in life. The definitions are almost on their, on their end. They're just like, they're just flipped around. You can't just look on the outside, Psalm 1 is saying. You can't just, you know, look at the, the external. You gotta look at what's going on on the inside. And so guys, guys, we have to stop letting the world and the culture define what happiness is. And it's everywhere, isn't it? It's Hollywood and it's, it's in the media. It's on socials. It's everywhere. This is what happiness is. And it's just the absolute antithetical way of what God's word is saying what happiness is. And it's powerful. It paints a compelling picture, but it ain't real. Psalm says a blessed person is like that tree by the river. You know, we got some pretty cool rivers around here, don't we? You know, most towns only have one nice river. We got two. <laughs> we got two. And then we got all kinds of creeks and, you know, offshoots. And it's like, it's just like you could go hiking and, you know, go up to Wolf Creek Falls and, and you see that beautiful stream and you see those huge trees. Those, they've left a few of those old ones. Yeah, they're just massive. And it just reminds us that's what the blessed person is like. Prospering, leafy, bearing fruit in season, remaining. You know, the word prosper in here, in this, in the Hebrew, in, 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 uh, verse three, you know what it just means? It means to finish well. It doesn't mean to have a lot of money. It means you finished well. Trees by streams, they experience bad weather. They have to endure all kinds of storms and droughts and cold and heat and flood, but they last. They last. And Bible says, be that tree. Be that tree in Psalm 1, yo. That's your life in God, rooted by a stream of life. Be that tree. And this leads us now to the third question the passage drives home, which is simply, well, which way am I taking? It's informing us of these two paths, but implicit in this psalm is a, a decision, a question. Which way shall I go? What kind of life do I want to live? And right from the beginning, Psalm 1 presents an apologetic for living the blessed life as defined by God. You know what Psalm 1 says? It says, dude, dude, choose blessing. Choose God. Choose his path, his way, his love, his grace, his ways, his methods, his morals, his ethics, his boundaries. Choose God's fences in your life. And also choose God's freedom in your life. You can't improve upon what the limitless, the smartest being who's ever lived. I'm 48 years old. God's like 48 billion years old. Do you think he knows a little bit more about life than me? He does. <laughs> you can't improve on what the limitless eternal God has already thought of. And so Psalm 1, the answer says, choose the blessed way. Choose the blessed way. Friends, which way are you choosing? Which way are you living? What path are you on? 
So let me wrap this up, all this talk of ways and paths and gates. Jesus, of course, he began to, to unveil these things in a deeper way in his teachings. He said, for example, in John 10, 9, he said, well, I am that gate. I am the gate. I am the door. The gate itself is Jesus. To get to the city of God, the blessed city, the city of life, the city of, of lights, we enter through that city and it's a narrow gate, but that gate is Jesus. Jesus is the gate. This is the gospel message, is that through Christ, we have access to the blessed life. It's not about having better morals or sort of, you know, curtailing, you know, uh, your, your bad habits or whatever. It's no, you walk through Jesus. God doesn't want to make you a better person. He wants to make you a new person. That's walking through Jesus. Jesus also said to make sure that we didn't miss it in John 14, 6, he would say, well, I am the way. What path do I go down? Jesus said, well, that's me. I'm the path. I'm the way. Take me. Take the way. I'm the way. Jesus, friends, is the conclusion to Psalm chapter 1. Remember that we talked about how the Bible always points to Jesus. Psalm 1 is a warm-up for Christ. He's the last verse to this psalm. The gospel says, believe upon Jesus and you'll be that tree. Decide in your mind, in your heart today, which way you want to go. Put your faith and your trust in the, in the son of God, the risen son of God. Put your, put your faith and let him lead you and let him love you and let him be with you and let him fill you with the blessed life, both now and forever. That is the gospel. That is Psalm one. That is who Jesus is. What a beautiful thing. So friends, which way are you living? Which path are you on? Choose the path of the blessed life. Choose Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for taking us through the scriptures this year, for allowing us to, to be pulled into the world of the Bible, into the emotion, into, into the, uh, into the, the, the celebration and the joy and also the struggle of life in the book of Psalms, Lord, help us to internalize these scriptures. And as we just found out, Lord, Psalm 1 points us to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace Jesus, that we would put our faith in Jesus, that we would trust Jesus, that we would walk through the gate, which is Jesus, that we would walk on the path, the way, which is Jesus. Help us all, Lord, have the faith and the grace some of us were starting that path. Some of us have been on that path. But Lord, I'm praying that we would all get there. Lord, take us there, I pray. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things now in your beautiful name, your strong name. Lord, you are the gate. Amen. Amen.